Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to season nine and three quarters of Heart to Heart with Anna. This is another bonus episode that I am airing while I finish up preparing for season 10. I'm really getting excited about season 10. I still have a few shows left to book. We'll be talking about education for heart warriors. If you'd like to be on the show, please contact me at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com or on Facebook, and we'll see about getting you on the show. Today's show is the emotional toll of living with congenital heart disease. Yara Gillis is mother of 11-year-old Maya and 6-year-old Lexi. Maya has complex congenital heart disease, specifically unbalanced atrial ventricular septal defect with coarctation of the aorta. She has had the Norwood, Glenn, and Fontan, and other countless procedures. Yero is the founder and chair of the Braveheart Support Society, supporting families in Atlantic Canada living with congenital heart disease. She has been a volunteer family advisor at the local children's hospital, which for her is IWK Health Center in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. She's done that for eight years, providing family caregiver perspective on a wide range of topics related to pediatric health care. Yero also worked for two years as a staff family advisor at the IWK in a similar capacity. Yero has been a presenter to varied audiences on patient and family-centered care, congenital heart disease, and other related issues, and she has also presented at Grand Rounds at the IWK to new employees at hospital orientation, health science university students, and a local cardiac conference. Later this week, and we are now in May of 2017, she will present at the Canadian Society of Respiratory Therapy Annual Education Conference in Halifax. So welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna Yarrow. Thank you so much. Well, let's start by talking about Maya and some of the challenges she's faced. Sure. It's been a long road. As you mentioned earlier, Maya is now 11 years old, and the first couple of years were quite challenging, to put it mildly, as other heart parents usually know. Maya spent the first year of her life on a feeding tube. She had her first surgery at five days old and her second at six months old, and all of that time was also on a feeding tube. I remember the NG feeding tube and gavage feeding that, as a matter of fact, and it was only when she was six months old that we actually finally got a pump for the feeding to which was more or less uh, a brand new uh, much better life road I, I think yeah we had a lot of challenges for the first couple of years for sure including um, some gross motor development issues uh, as well as some other issues related to our lengthy hospital stays 
Oh, wow. It does sound like you went through a lot. So she was on a feeding tube before she had her first surgery? I guess I should probably clarify that. So her first surgery was at five days old. And to be quite honest, they didn't feed her before that surgery. I believe she had some sucrose. And I think what was happening was they knew they were going to have to do surgery, so they didn't want to feed her. It's tough to think about, but um, yeah, so at, at day four, they decided they need to do surgery the next day. And so then she had surgery, and when finally she was recovering from that, she wouldn't bottle feed. She was way too weak. So she was too weak, mm-hmm. and it turned out that she had severe reflux issues. So mm-hmm. on the tube, we went. Wow. Wow. So it's not bad enough you had to deal with having a baby who couldn't be fed because of the impending heart surgery but then after the heart surgery they figure out she's too weak and so despite all of the good work that they did with the heart surgery they had to go and put a feeding tube in her as well so did she have the kind that went in through her nose yeah so she had the the one that goes through the nose which i think it's called ng and i think it stands for nasogastric right i mean i remember when you were mentioning the the first surgery i remember being up in the hospital room and not having a baby with me for example because my baby was down in the nicu and then my baby needed to have surgery of course my baby was a lot bigger than everybody else's baby in the nicu but she needed to have her surgery but yeah she had that feeding tube and at first she didn't they kept trying to get her to feed enough but as a a heart child needs a lot more calories in order to you know survive and do well but because she was so weak she kept falling asleep and they kept trying to wake her up or I tried to wake her up to have her feed more and it didn't really work enough so eventually the tube went in and she wouldn't calm she wouldn't settle and it turned out that she had severe reflux as well and once they got that under control things got a bit better. Right. Well, as you know, becoming a heart mom totally changes your way of life. And it's a life change that I don't think you can ever go back to. I know people often talk about returning to normal, but for us heart moms, we have a new normal. Can you tell us some of the other ways that your life changed after Maya was born? Yeah, sure. I know for me personally, I had never planned to stay at home with children. I kind of planned to work, stay home as long as you're supposed to. Here in Canada, we actually have a one-year maternity leave and then go back to work after that because that's what you do. And there's no manual that comes with having a child and there's definitely no manual that comes with having a hurt child. And at the time, I didn't know anyone else like me. I tried to go back to work and I wasn't allowed to put Maya into a regular daycare. They had advised that she would get too sick. So I'd found a sitter paid her more so that she wouldn't take on any other children, a home sitter. And even then, Maya wound up getting too sick. And here I was trying to work at my job again and having to go to emergency and spend the night or or spend a couple of nights sometimes. So eventually, I kind of realized that this whole working business just wasn't going to work out. And my stress level, of course, was incredibly high at this point. Sure. My husband was working away at the time. So a lot of dynamics shifted for us at that point. I decided I had to stay at home. What this did for our family was my husband had to become the sole breadwinner. It wasn't the choice that we made. Right. He then was required to stay and work further away from us as he was doing. So I became a dependent stay-at-home mom, and that was something I never, ever imagined doing. It wasn't something I wanted to be dependent on somebody else. I had worked hard. I had gone to university, and now all of that was being swept aside. So that was for me personally, and my husband was now thrust into the role of having to be a breadwinner 
And with the state of the economy, job situations can be up and down. So there was a lot of extra pressure on him. Additionally, he was working away. So all of these things were happening at home with myself and my daughter. And he was away for most of it, which I imagine for him, he was far away. And and it would be hard also to experience that from his perspective, not knowing what was happening. Right. To be so far away. And I'm sure it was scary for him to know that he couldn't even put his daughter in daycare. It wasn't really an option because she was getting sick so much. So yeah, it sounds like it really changed the whole dynamics of your marriage, your financial status. I mean, everything really changed for you. Do you feel that 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 had an emotional consequence on your life? I believe it certainly did. Something I noticed also was, um, and I've heard from a lot of other families that it's the same. It's similar, similar experiences for them. I know my temper was much shorter. I didn't have as much patience. To be honest, I don't know how much patience any new mom has, but my patience levels were lower. There, were, there was more arguing between myself and my husband, I think, than might have been otherwise normal. But I've heard from other families the same that you're more short-tempered and you anger more easily because you're so frustrated. It really changed everything about our life, and it was also my first child, so... Everything was very scary. You never knew if you were doing something wrong. You often felt like you're playing Russian roulette. If you were to take her out somewhere, was it worth the likely emergency follow-up that would happen in a day or so later? A lot of things changed for us. We couldn't just go out and socialize the way one normally does when they have a new family member, a new baby comes along, and you just go about your life. Well, we couldn't. Everybody had to wash their hands. Nobody could come near us. They had a cold. We couldn't go visit anyone. My grandmother died and my daughter never got to see her because we couldn't take her into that situation. That's so heartbreaking, Yara. That's so heartbreaking. People who are outside the heart world do not really understand a lot of the sacrifices we have to make, especially when our children are between surgeries. It's such a dangerous time. You have to keep the child healthy or else they're not going to be a candidate for the next surgery. There's a lot of emotional stress. There certainly is. I think for a lot of us heart families, we do lead a very insulated life in those early years. And I think people outside the heart world really can't understand what that means to a family like us. And I think it does take an emotional toll on us. I don't see how it cannot. Do you? I feel the same way. Our maternity leave here in Canada is a year long, which is really great. We're very grateful for it. But people call it a maternity leave. And it's the time that you spend at home bonding with your child. For me, I called it a medical leave. It was the time I spent at home keeping my child alive. Right, right. It, it wasn't the same scenario at all. It was it was about keeping her alive so she could have her next surgery, worrying about how much she was vomiting and how much nutrition was she actually getting and all of the things that happened during the complications after her second surgery. So not much of it was spent bonding and thinking about lovely, wonderful things. Most of it was spent worrying whether or not she was going to be alive and breathing the next morning. Well, that's a perfect example of how this can take an emotional toll on a family. And we do have to take a quick break, but don't leave yet, listeners, because when we come back, we're going to talk to Yara about what it's been like for her to interact with families who are members of Braveheart, that support group that she started. We'll be back right after this quick break. The most common themes that I hear is why. She always needed a lot of attention. She had strokes. Even though it's a natural inclination to withdraw from the CHD community, I think being a part of it helped me be part of the solution. 
Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern. I'm Michael Lieben, and I'll be your host as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is the emotional toll of living with congenital heart disease, and our guest is Yero Gillis. She just finished telling us about how her life changed since she gave birth to Maya, who was born with a critical congenital heart defect. And now we're going to talk to her about her role as board chair and founder of Braveheart. Yara, you said in your bio that you started Braveheart, and I know that that's a support group for Canadians. Can you tell us what your duties are in that support group? Sure. So the reason I founded Braveheart goes back to what we talked about earlier. I remember just a strong feeling of isolation that I felt. I felt like I knew nobody else going through what I was going through. And there was an annual heart conference put on by our heart center at our local children's hospital. So once a year, I might have the opportunity to meet other families just like me. So what I thought was I never wanted anyone else to experience what I experienced, which was that strong sense of isolation and feeling like I knew nobody else going through what I was going through. And I actually, I remember I waited a few years. I kept hoping somebody else would start an organization to support families like this, but it never happened. So finally, after having my second child, which was a carefully thought out process, and after she was about um, six months or so, along we were doing a couple of parent meetings through Facebook we were getting together for coffee and so I decided it was time to officially start an organization to support these families so that all of these families would be able to reach out and find others just like them and also so my daughter would never be able to say mommy I don't know anyone who has a special heart like me she has never been able to say that and all families now who are at our local children's hospital they will not feel that same sense of isolation. It is up to them. They see our posters and they can reach out to us at any point and they will probably talk to me. So I would talk to any new parent or family coming through who reaches out to us through email or through phone number. I would talk to them and then I can connect them as well with other families. Social media, of course, is a big way that families connect now. Well, that's just so beautiful that you started that. I helped start a support group near me, not in my hometown, because unfortunately my hometown doesn't have a surgeon, and so we don't have a good pediatric congenital heart program. But I helped start a program called Milagros in Austin, Texas, for the same reason, because I wanted to be able to reach out. And I think it's beautiful that you are still the person that they contact. What did we figure out seven years later that it's been seven years? Wow. Yes, I think I think it's been seven years. We could always use some fresh uh, fresh perspective for sure. But it, yes, it continues to be me that if they reach out, I'm their first point of contact. So when you do contact people or when people do contact you, Yarrow, what do you find as a recurring theme with those families? 
the themes that I find are the same ones that I experience. There's a lot of worrying. They don't know what's normal. Worrying about things from their baby cries too much to how to feed them. And then the two feeding is something they may not have experienced before and worried that they can't handle this, that they can't do it. And I know another concern that comes up a lot again for them is a feeling of isolation but from a different perspective of other family members not understanding it even though they may be trying to understand other family members still not truly understanding what it is that you are going through as a heart mother or a heart dad and that they end up finding that the only ones who truly understand just about everything is another heart parent that's so they, true don't you feel like yeah. that happened with you yarrow and i love Abs- my family but yeah i don't yeah. feel like they got it like someone you know who's walked in our shoes gets yeah and another thing that comes up is uh, a sense of frustration they have, especially when their child will have surgery, and sometimes it's considered close to a surgical repair. But as we know, with congenital heart disease, the child is never completely healed. You mm-hmm. you know, your child will always need checkups. So they will experience family and friends saying, well, why aren't you taking your baby out now? Your baby had surgery. The baby's right. fine. Yeah. It's fine. And, and a true sense of frustration and anxiety and agony of trying to figure out how to explain it nobody else ever understanding until they find another heart parent right right and i had so many well-meaning people say well i thought that alex was fixed now that's right and same here and perhaps not even wanting to explain what the difference between a surgical repair is and a palliative surgery do i really want to talk about that with someone else who seems to be on occasion might be rather flippant or not understanding the severity of the situation or you'll have those families also talking about well aren't you going to take out your baby now aren't you going to take your baby to the movies take your baby to the library and and not understanding that we may still have to be extremely careful with what we do right and even when I would explain that my son was going to need multiple surgeries and how important it was that he not be exposed to germs my family members who had young children they wanted their children to know their cousin. And I did too, but I couldn't risk putting him around preschoolers. I mean, that was just so dangerous. And I'm afraid I probably alienated my sister and my sister-in-law at some points because they would want to come over and I just didn't feel comfortable with that. Yeah, that's right. And also that for us, we've learned that if you do that, you may risk uh, having emergency visit or overnight stay. And a worst case scenario as well is you may end up having your surgery date rescheduled if your child is not well enough. So there is a lot riding on keeping your child healthy. Well, there is. And I made the mistake when Alex was interstage. I lived out in the country. I had two thirds of an acre. And so his surgery was impending. So the week before his surgery, I knew that I live in Texas. And I knew if I didn't get out and mow the grass in March, that yeah, we would probably be at the hospital for a week, two, three, who knew? And so I knew I needed to mow the grass. So I went out. It was a beautiful spring day in central Texas. I went out and mowed the grass. And the next morning, Alex had a runny nose. And I knew it was probably because of allergies. But I called the pediatric cardiologist and I said, I know it's a week before surgery, but I mowed the grass and now Alex has a runny nose and they canceled the surgery. 
And I was terrified that I had just ruined my son's chance of survival because I felt like I had to mow the grass. And so they told me to take him to the pediatrician. And the pediatrician agreed with me that he had no fever. He had no other cold symptoms. And it was probably just allergies. And he talked to the pediatric cardiologist, but they felt just to be on the safe side they ended up scheduling a surgery for a month later. So for a month, I was afraid that if Alex died, that it would be my fault because I mowed the grass. Oh my gosh, that is horrible. And I feel so blessed. He's 22 now, so thankfully everybody, he made it, obviously. (laughs) But there is such an emotional toll. People don't realize the, the kind of emotional toll that living with congenital heart disease, whether you're the parents or the survivor, Alex didn't know any stress. I mean, to him, all babies grew up this way. He didn't know any difference. His brother did. I had an older child. You had a younger daughter, so she didn't see you going through those early surgeries. But did Lexi experience Maya's last surgery? Was she? No, um, that was specifically done that way in that Maya had had significant complication and hospitalization after her second surgery. Instead of being in the hospital for just, say, a week, we were discharged. And on my 30th birthday, my husband left the province flew four hours away to go back to work for six more weeks. And on my 30th birthday, we were readmitted for another six weeks for an infection of the bone called osteomyelitis. So it was a very bad time. And from that, uh, when I eventually decided we might have a second child, we decided we were going to wait till after her third surgery and see how it went. Because if it complications happened again and we landed there for four to eight weeks I didn't want to be dealing with a small little child who wouldn't understand that sure so because that I was able to control the situation so only after she was fully home fully stable did we consider that so we've been very lucky in that she's been born completely healthy and also Maya didn't have as many hospitalizations after Lexi was born uh, you know through getting sick and whatnot so she's become stronger over the years she was four when our second child was born so she was much more stable by then ah that's a perfect note for us to go to a quick commercial break don't leave yet friends we'll be right back and when we come back we're going to talk to Yara about her experience in talking with medical professionals We'll be right back. When I saw so many of these CHG groups growing, I found family just ready to join me. Anyone who is a member of the adult congenital heart defect community can be a guest on our show. We have a great year planned, and we look forward to sharing other interesting topics. Heart to Heart with Nicole and David, serving the ACHD community, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. forever by the baby blue sound collective i think what i love so much about this cd is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by our new album will be available on itunes amazon.com spotify i love the fact that the proceeds from this cd are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects enjoy the music home tonight forever Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is the emotional toll of living with congenital heart disease, and we only have a few minutes left, but we're going to talk to Yara Gillis, who is our expert today, about 
talking with other professionals about what it's like to be a family living with congenital heart disease. So Yara, in your experience over the last 11 years of dealing with professionals and starting a support group and living as a heart mom, can you tell me what you have talked to medical professionals about regarding the emotional toll having a CHD child puts on a family? I would say that I have seen a difference. I remember 11 years ago and then 10 and a half and 10 years ago, you know, as she got a little bit older, I knew that I needed help in coming to terms with what had happened and figuring out a way to cope. And I tried to seek out help a few times with counseling and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. But there was no psychologist, say, attached to our service or our care team. But I noticed about five years ago, there's an annual heart conference called Heart Talk at our local children's hospital. I believe they're in their 22nd or 23rd year now. And about five or six years ago, perhaps seven, they have different guest speakers, as you well know. And they had a psychologist speaking, as they tend to have almost every year. And they were talking about the emotional toll on families. And the psychologist said there were not many studies out there, but one that was done talked about how the level of stress of a parent of a child with congenital heart disease tended to be higher than for other types of illnesses or emergency situations. It was such that she said our baseline, as you and I well know, and the listeners well know, is our baseline level of stress is higher because every day we're dealing with our child and congenital heart disease. So we have a higher base level stress than, say, a parent of a normal child. But in addition to that, we have spikes in stress, which are significant Mm -hmm. events such as cardiac cath or surgery versus someone else who has a regular healthy child and the child breaks their arm or something like that. They have a significant stressful event. So we have a higher baseline than all the other parents. If you have a child, say, with diabetes, you have a higher baseline level, but generally you never have something like surgery happen. You never see the inside of the PICU. We have both. We have a higher baseline level, and then we have significant events that occur. Sometimes we know about them, but sometimes we don't know when they're going to happen. And because of that, they said our overall stress levels are quite significant. And so that was really nice to hear that. It was almost validating for me Mm -hmm. to hear. I imagine for other families to hear too. Yeah. So now they attach a psychologist to the team. And the psychologist is there mostly for the child, though, I've learned. It's pediatric. It's to help the child with coping, which is extremely important, of course. But I did notice that it was for the child and not so much for the parents. So there's still room. There's still room left. There's room to grow, to see the support also for the parents and the families as a whole. Yeah, I agree. I think this is something that's lacking in our community. I don't think that the professionals don't want to be compassionate. I'm sure there's a financial (laughs) reason why this doesn't happen. The resource, yeah. Yeah, I think it's an expensive resource, but I do think that it would help. We know at least by conjecture that there's a higher divorce rate. I know I've heard that there's a a higher divorce rate among heart families. I haven't actually seen a real study that gives concrete statistics, and I would love to see something like that. But this does put a great deal of stress on the family. There's also the financial changes that occur when you're dealing with a type of situation. So I know in the United States, it's compounded. It's something I can hardly fathom, to be quite honest. 
But for us, but you do what you have to do. In your case, you felt you had to quit to keep your daughter healthy so she could make it through her three scheduled surgeries, not to mention the issue with the bone. Well, she had a couple of significant issues that came up. One was actually intussusception. Her feeding tube had been inserted too far down. Her small intestine or large one, I'm not sure which one, started to almost roll over on itself, eat itself, like digest itself, if you will. But I don't know how to explain it medically. But she almost required surgery for that. And then we finally were discharged. We came home and she had a, developed an infection in the bone, so where the surgery was. And that is called osteomyelitis and requires six weeks of broad-spectrum antibiotics. So she had a thick line in for that as well. Some very significant oh. events for sure that did take place. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And it would only make logical sense to me that if you have a family going through all of that, and many of our listeners all over the world know exactly what you're talking about, even if they didn't experience those exact events, there are events that happen, plural effusions. The feeding tube issue is a problem that knows no boundaries, no language difference. I mean, it's just something that happens with a lot of our heart kids. You would think that those doctors would say, you know what, these moms, these dads, and siblings might need some counseling to help them get through that. And I haven't really seen that being offered worldwide. I think there is some room for growth with that. For sure. I know we run as Braveheart monthly parent meetings, and we occasionally bring in guest speakers. And one of the guest speakers I bring in, sometimes it's a cardiac nurse, and another time it was a psychology resident. And it was to talk about just that. And not only were the parents of the six-month-old affected and positively impacted by the end of the day, but I had a parent of a 16-year-old at that meeting who talked to me afterwards and told me how much she didn't realize that was going to bring up for her and actually it was cathartic for her as well yeah so we are providing a bit of that support but it's not really supposed to be for us to provide solely definitely we'd love to see it more done within the whole cardiac community In season nine, I devoted the entire season to advancements in congenital heart disease, Yero. And one of the guests that I had on the show, he actually came on two weeks in a row because we had so much to talk about. It was Dr. Gil Vernovsky, and he was talking about a roadmap to success. And in that roadmap, it was for pediatric patients. It was not for the adult patients, but for the pediatric patients. And he is proposing that the professionals dealing with congenital heart disease come together as a team and deal with the family very holistically. And I think I'm going to write him an email and say, Dr. Warnofsky, you need to make sure that you have a counselor on your roadmap, not only for the child, but for the parents and the siblings. Because what we just talked about right now just reinforces my belief that if parents knew this was part of a roadmap and that at the very beginning they would meet with a social worker and all the multitude of professionals that they have to meet with, but that they could also meet with a counselor to help them deal with all the changes that were going to go on in their life and that in this roadmap along that child's continuum of life. And as that child continues to grow and change, the needs of the families will grow and change too. And it's important for them to continue to work on their mental health by seeing a counselor. What do you think about that, Yara? I think that would be fabulous. I could see families not only surviving and a child not only surviving, but actually thriving. Mm -hmm. To have that, if you help the family, you therefore help the child, you provide them with a much better, much healthier environment to grow up in, which can only be better for all of us. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Yero. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have been able to take part. 
Oh, this was wonderful. That does conclude this special bonus episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week at noon Eastern time. And until then, please find and follow our show on iTunes. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.